So I'm going to invite you today to turn your Bible to John chapter 11. I really feel like um, we could just go right to communion and we would be full. Uh, but there is power in the Word of God. And, and as we get together, we always turn our focus there. Um, and there's power in this chapter that's just amazing to me. So we're going to continue through this story uh, in, the, in the story of Lazarus having died and Mary going, um, Jesus going to Mary and Martha. And I think if you think about it today, I think all of us could say this. Um, I've experienced death in my life. I've encountered it. Have you? You know, I, first thing that comes to mind are loved ones that, that have left us, someone dear to you. And uh, you know the feeling of that. You know the ache in your soul that comes from losing someone that you love. Before you were ready to, I don't know of anybody who ever said to me, I was ready for them to go. I mean, other than in, in context of they were suffering so much, but that's a little different. We didn't really want to lose them. We just couldn't stand to see them suffer anymore. So nobody's really ready for someone they love to leave them. It's always overwhelming. Even if you see it coming, it's, it's overwhelming. It doesn't, nothing really prepares you for it. Nothing really gets you so that you don't have to experience the emptiness and, and the sorrow of it. But the truth is, I've experienced death in my life outside of just losing loved ones. You probably have too. The death of a dream that you held dear, something that you wanted to see happen, turns out it's not going to happen. The death of a relationship, someone who was important to you, that you thought would always be there for you, that you had built this strong bond and it will never more be. The death of a career, you know, our economy has churned out a lot of deaths in career over the past few years. And, and the emptiness, the helplessness, the overwhelmingness of that circumstance when it shows up in your life financially, um, as well as all of the stresses that come from that. Even just the death of hope. You know, I feel like I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and nothing ever changes. And so hope is just dead in me. And maybe as I talk about those things, your, your knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, those deaths are less significant than losing a loved one or facing my own death someday. But in my experience, those deaths are every bit as overwhelming and soul-shaking as losing someone we love. Death is death. The ones that you see coming, those deaths that you see a mile away can make your life miserable for weeks or months or years even as you wait for it to happen, as you live in the dread of what will happen when it comes. And the ones that come out of nowhere and surprise you and you never saw them coming can leave you in a mind-scrambled mess, spinning you into a downward spiral that feels like it will never end. So if you've ever felt the sting of death in your life, and I'm sure all of you have, if you've ever faced the loss of someone or something that seemed irreplaceable to you, you are exactly where the people in this story are. That's what they're experiencing as we pick up this story. And what Jesus says and does for them in this chapter apply right to your life and mine. I'm hoping today we can learn something about death and what God does with death. There are natural human reactions to it, but there is God's promise and God's power in it as well. 
And so I'm hoping that we can see that today. Last week we saw the news of Lazarus' illness came to Jesus. Lord, the one that you love is ill. And Jesus decided to wait before going to see him, before going to intervene or or comfort or pray with or whatever. He, He wasn't with Mary and Martha and Lazarus as Lazarus is sick and ill. This week, we pick up the story as Jesus arrives on the scene of Lazarus' funeral. And he interacts with Mary and Martha. Next week, Mary, but this week, Martha. Interacts with them in their grief. And I hope that what we can see today is two parts of our normal reaction when death shows up in our life. There are two things that we see here that always happen to people when something dies in their life. Jesus says here that he is the resurrection and the life. That is Jesus' comment on it. And so what I hope we see as we look at the normal human reactions to death, that we will also see that death is not simply an end. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, as though we live because there's a resurrection. And as I look, and hopefully you can as well, at many of the deaths in my life, especially the ones in stuff like career and relationships, what I can see is this, that it took death for there to be new life. Have you ever seen that? That without death and resurrection, there would never have been new life. I hope that that wakens inside of you. Maybe faith will teach us today that when we suffer loss as a child of God, that God can turn that loss into an opportunity for new life, deeper life, stronger life, freer life, fuller life in Jesus Christ. It's almost like dying is a prerequisite to living. Maybe the job that you're so afraid to lose is what is in the way of what God has for you. Maybe the relationship that you just can't seem to end is what's keeping you stuck and feeling dead and numb and empty inside. Maybe the place you always go or that thing you always do, it needs to die and God is trying to bring it to death in you. Not because you'll enjoy the process. We never enjoy that process. Jesus didn't enjoy that process. But because there's new life in it. Because in the hands of Jesus, death opens the door for resurrection and life. And so start with me in John chapter 11, verse 17. We're just going to read down to verse 19. Eventually we'll read all the way down uh, to verse 27, but we're going to go verses 17 to 19. It says this, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. All right, first thing that happens, first thing we see here in this story that always happens when there's a loss, sorrow, grief, pain. There's a thing in us that that wants to avoid pain when we can. If you've ever touched something really hot, our iron Yesterday broke the thing that irons our shirt. So I got a different iron out, you know, like iron. Now, if you've ever touched an iron when it's hot, that hurts, right? 
You, if you're functioning well, you do not leave your hand on the iron after it starts to hurt. It's a simple survival thing, right? You're not like, wow, that really hurts. You know what? That's hurting more. That's really burning. I bet you that's going to leave a mark. Like, you don't do that. You, as soon as you recognize pain, you remove yourself from pain, right? When we see pain coming, we try to do the same thing. We try to avoid it. We try to get ready for it. We try to brace ourselves for it. Have you ever tried to brace yourself for pain? Still hurts, doesn't it? Like there's no escape. There's no out from it. When you get there, it's still going to hurt. It's still going to stink. It's still going to be awful because it's pain. That's what it does. And so sometimes we live like we're going to like be ready for it, but it doesn't help. So this section opens with Jesus arriving at the funeral. And what you can picture is the scene here of people everywhere. And there's mourning and crying and sadness. There was not a dignified, you know, controlled and civilized funeral. This was loud mourning and wailing. The culture believed that if we cry out, we express this grief. It's an honor to the one that we lost. It it tells us how much he meant or she meant to us that we're so loud and so uh, uh, bold in our grief. Death is very rarely, almost never experienced without grief, sorrow, and pain. It doesn't mean that you always cry. Grief doesn't mean you always cry. But I would tell you, you can't really turn off the sorrow that comes with loss. You've got to go through it, right? You've got to work your way through it. I would love to take sorrow away from some of you as you sit and you tell me about the things that are happening in your life. Man, I, my wish is that I could just take it off of you. But I can't. What I can do is walk with you through it, but I can't take it off of you. And sometimes people get in, in very bad places trying to escape it, trying to short-circuit, trying to get around it. But Jesus doesn't try to stop their sorrow. When he arrives on the scene, the sorrow continues and Jesus just immerses himself in it. So what we see here is this. Jesus arrives at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home and it says Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Now, later on that's going to matter because she, Martha's worried about opening up the tomb because decomposition has already happened. And she says, Lord, it, it smells. We don't want to do that. But right now, it notes it at the beginning that he's been dead for four days to connect it to Jesus waiting two days to go there, but also to connect it to this idea. There was teaching among the rabbis that after death, the soul hung around the body for a little while kind of seeing if they, that body might want to come back to life, just hanging around. Like, didn't really want to leave this earth and leave all their fat, so they just, just hung around the body for a few days, three days, actually. After three days, the, the decomposition began to set in, and the soul looked at the body and said, well, that, well, this is over now, and so left the body, left to go on to the afterlife. That was the teaching of the rabbis. And so in this instance, the sorrow on the fourth day is at its peak. The shock of, of the death and its loss is, is growing and growing as, as the, you know, there's this sense that Lazarus is still here. But on the fourth day, it sinks in that he's gone, gone. He's not around anymore. And whether it was true or misguided, obviously it's, it's very misguided from biblical teaching, 
But there's a, a sense that Jesus arriving on the fourth day was very much on purpose. It was at the height of sorrow, at the absolute moment when the, the finality of death hit them and all that accompanied that. Our understanding, our knowledge of what happens in this world and what happens after this world is very limited. We only have part of the info and plenty of misinformation in our heads. But Jesus doesn't come and say, what's wrong with all of you? Why are you so upset? Don't you understand? This is just, this is just temporary. I'm going to raise Lazarus to life in a few minutes. Get over it. He doesn't do that. He shows up on the scene and they're very, very sad and he works within their understanding. Four days later, he shows up. It highlights the power of God. He doesn't fight against their misunderstanding. He doesn't fight against their grief. He simply uses it to emphasize that he is indeed God and the Savior, that he is greater than death. And then it tells us that Bethany is two miles, less than two miles from Jerusalem. That's important for two reasons. First of all, if you remember from last week, when Jesus said, we're going to see Lazarus, Philip, or not Philip, Thomas said, well, let's go with him so we'll die too. Why did Thomas think that? Because Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is where they have over and over again tried to kill him. So Thomas is like, well, if we go there, it's only two miles from Jerusalem. And it turns out Mary and Martha and Lazarus are a pretty influential family. They're, they're probably wealthy or something. So a lot of people from Jerusalem, it, it, the second thing it tells us is that the crowd is because there's a big city there and a lot of people from Jerusalem have come to the funeral. And so Thomas is not foolish to think that there will be people there who are enemies of Jesus that will look for an opportunity to kill him. And so he's scared to go there. And so this Bethany is less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them Generally, when someone died, the burial happened on the day of their death. They, they immediately embalmed them and put them in the tomb. We see that from Jesus' death. They wanted to bury him that day. They did not want him to be on the cross when the Sabbath came because then they couldn't do that thing right away. They wanted to put him in the tomb right away. And so generally speaking in that culture, when someone died, they were in the tomb right away. But the mourning for their death was generally focused on the first week. During that first week, people came to visit and, and came to, to mourn with them. And so these people came to the, the, this influential or wealthy family with Mary and Martha, and they came to mourn with them, to show their support and to, to be there with them in their sorrow. Their intent was to be kind and helpful because Mary and Martha were grieving, to show honor to this family. But it turns out that the crowd ultimately serves a different purpose. They came because this is such a sad thing. It turns out they actually came because God wanted them there as witnesses to what he was going to do. Sometimes people are like, well, I don't know what the right thing to do. You know what? I'm much less concerned about what the right thing to do is as whether or not you're in the right spot with the Lord. Because a lot of times you wind up doing the right thing, but you have no idea or the idea you thought of why you're doing it is not right at all. You thought you were doing it for this. Turns out you were doing it for that, Right? The, the difference is whether or not you're connected to God's leading in your life. And so here we've got people who showed up thinking they're going to help this family through this grief process. Turns out they're there because Jesus is going to do a miracle that resonates through history. And so here's what I would say before we move on. Listen, if you're suffering the loss of something and you're really sad about it, 
That's okay. Do not think that faith exempts you from the pain of loss. It means you don't have to suffer loss without hope. But it doesn't mean you don't have to suffer loss without grief. These people are grieving. Jesus doesn't tell them to turn it off. Whether it's someone dear to you or whether it's something important in your life, when you lose it, your humanity will hurt. But as a believer, as a child of God, what this story tells us and what the New Testament tells us is this. Death is more than just an end. Death is more than just an end. And so pick up with me at verse 20, down to verse 24. Here's what happens. When Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. All right, first experience in death, sorrow, grief, pain. Second is this. Did you hear some frustration in Martha with Jesus? Did you hear that? In kind of the way that she acts and interacts, she speaks frustration with Jesus. She, it says when, when she heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Now for us, that doesn't mean a lot, but in that culture, the way that grief happened when people came over, the, those who were grieving, those who were the, the, the primary focus of the loss, stayed seated in the house. Like they don't have the energy to get up or whatever. And everybody came to them. It was a way of showing honor. It was a way of you know, reflecting the, the, the personal loss for them. They just stayed seated. But it says here, Martha, when she heard Jesus was coming, got up and went to him. Now, I don't know if you have a picture of Martha in your head. Martha is, you know, energy and uh, misresponsibility and always make sure things are right and all that stuff. And so when she hears Jesus is coming, she's not waiting for him to come to her. I got something to say to Jesus. And so off she goes. She's frustrated with him. And frustration is normal when we face loss. And so she gets to Jesus and she says, If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Notice two things. First of all, her frustration is with Jesus. She's saying to him, this didn't have to happen. You could have healed him if only you had been here. Frustration builds when we do the if onlys inside of us. If only this had been. If only that had happened. If only, if only, if only. Frustration builds. A lot of times it is the way we reflect on a loss. The way we reflect on an outcome that we didn't want and we wish hadn't happened. If only this. And we're frustrated because we, we have this sense that it didn't have to be this way. If only you had been here. And so it is normal when we lose what we hold dear to say, God, Why? Why did we have to lose that thing? What, I, what I've found over time is that we don't, when asking God why, we don't come up with a satisfactory answer. Have you ever asked why some pain came into your life, why something bad happened, and gotten an answer that was like, I feel all better now? You don't. That, it's frustration. It's a normal human reaction. It will never be resolved by finding an answer to why because there isn't an answer to why that's big enough to feel like it satisfies your pain. 
Whether it's the, the death of you know, uh, some relationship or whether it's the death of some career thing or whether it's the death of some dream that you had. When you ask why, you're not going to get a why and go, oh, okay, good. I feel better now. And so Martha comes to Jesus and she says, I'm frustrated. I want to know why this had to happen. Because if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And it's all lost now. It's all over. It's day four. He's gone. He's gone forever. If you've ever lost something, you've probably faced that frustration. You've asked, God, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you step in? You've become angry or depressed or just in despair over it. But I want you to notice something else. Not only is she frustrated, but her frustration comes from her faith. She's frustrated with Jesus because she believes who he is. You could have saved him. She did, it's not up for grabs with her. Like, I don't know, maybe you could have done something. She's like, if you were here, he wouldn't have died because you would have saved him. I know you would have. Her frustration comes out of her faith. She absolutely believes in what Jesus can do, in who Jesus is, in how he cares for her, in how he cares for her family. And so her why is, why weren't you here? Because you should have been here. And if you were here, this didn't have to happen. So our faith, our view of how great and how good and how faithful God is can be a source of frustration to us. Do you know why? Because sometimes we isolate parts of our faith. We just believe a little bit of it from the whole. And so she's just believing that if Jesus were here, he could have healed her brother. And that's all she sees. She doesn't see a bigger picture than that. Right? So let me say this to you. If you believe that God is able, that God is all-powerful, that God can do anything, that nothing is impossible with God, without believing that God is good and God cares about you, if you isolate a belief, you'll get frustrated. If you believe that God redeems, that God takes all of our messes and all of our failures and all of our shatteredness, and if we put it in His hands, He redeems it. If you believe that, but you don't believe that redemption is ultimate good, that redemption is just a poor substitute, that it's basically God patching back together something that would have been better off never shattered in the first place. If you isolate your belief, then you're going to be frustrated with redemption instead of rejoicing in redemption. If we edit down the truth of God's word to something less than what it is, we'll be very frustrated with God. And so Martha says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus is about to say to her, But if he hadn't died, there wouldn't be resurrection and there wouldn't be life. She finishes her statement to him by saying, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. It kind of sounds like if you know the whole story, she's she's saying to him, you're going to raise my brother up. I know you can. She's not really saying that. As a matter of fact, when Jesus says, hey, let's open the tomb, she's kind of like freaked out. Like, "Uh, not a good idea, Jesus. Let's not do that. She's not somebody who's like, I think you can raise him from the dead. Because if she was, when he said open the tomb, she would have been like, yeah, let's get that thing open. Right? So her statement here is saying to him, listen, I know that you didn't uh, like show up late because you lost your edge. Because you lost your power. 
because you couldn't do it anymore. I know that even now you have the power to heal. That power I just talked about. I know that you can still do that. It hasn't vanished. You haven't lost your touch. Even though you weren't here when you could have healed him, I know you could have. That's what she's saying. As she says, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And then Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And her answer to him is, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. So Jesus is telling her what he plans to do. I'm going to bring Lazarus back to life. But she doesn't get it. And the reason she doesn't get it is because part of the mourning process for Jewish people was to remind the person who had lost someone dear to them that God in the Old Testament, in books like Job and Psalms and and Deuteronomy, had promised a resurrection on the final day of his people. That they, those we lost were not lost forever. That one day we would be reunited with them after this life was over when God came back and rescued all of us from the grave. And so people would say, don't forget, they will rise again in the last day. And, and so there was some comfort in it, in that grief. It was really hard to feel it because it kind of felt like a far off, distant reality. It didn't do me any good right now. I'm going to miss them from now till the end of time. That's not going to make me feel much better. You know, and so she thinks Jesus is just saying, well, in the, what everybody else said, in the end, he's going to rise again. But what Jesus is saying is really not then. He's saying right now. And so verse 25 down to verse 27, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Jesus says to Martha, you're not waiting for a resurrection someday. I am the resurrection. I'm right here, right now. This death is not an end. She had thought Jesus was talking about something way down the road. But Jesus is saying, this death will bring life. And the surprising thing for Martha, for Mary, for all the people who've been listening to Jesus talk about life, I have come to give you life. I've come to make your life full. We've we've seen that in John chapter 8. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats me will live. He's talked about life again and again. In John 3, he talked about eternal life. You know, being born again. Life and life and life. That's all we've seen. But now we see this. That life he's been talking about comes through death and resurrection. You don't, and that's what I've been saying to you. You don't come to Jesus and add Jesus into your life like he's another check mark on your, the menu of your life. You come to Jesus and you die and he resurrects you to new life. There is no middle ground. There is no like adding in. There is no convenience to this. It is death and born again. Has that happened to you? Have you trusted Jesus like that for your eternity? Have you been born again by dying to who you were? I'm the resurrection and the life. See, we would like it to be life just kind of blending into more life. That doesn't do that, does it? It's life, death, resurrection, new life. And that process happens again and again in us as believers. There are things that need to die so that God can bring new life to us. 
Martha says to Jesus, we didn't have to do the death part, Jesus. You could have just healed him. Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. We had to do the death part because then I could raise him from the dead. Then there could be new life. Jesus uses the words, I am. Again, in the book of John, this happens again and again and again. I am. We've heard him say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate or the door. I am the good shepherd. We've heard all these things. Jesus uses those words, I am, that were the the proper name for God in the Old Testament, meaning I am that I am, the self-existent one. No one made me. No one gives me anything. I own it in and of myself. I am not dependent on anyone else. Jesus claims those words, and he's coupled them with these terms, these word pictures. Now here, he has two words that he couples with I am, resurrection and life. Jesus doesn't say, I bring resurrection, I bring life. He says, I am resurrection and I am life. And so because I am here, that's what's going to happen. I am the embodiment of death defeated, of life triumphing over death. I am the resurrection and the life. Life will come through resurrection and Jesus is both of them, that in order to receive life, in order to live, we will have to experience death. And since it's in Jesus' very nature, I am, we'll have to experience it in our relationship with him. He will conquer death in us over and over and over again for our eternal good. So let me ask you this morning, what needs to die in your life? What is God bringing to death in your life? Do you trust him to be resurrection and life in it? I'm not asking what you would like to kill. I may, you know, there's probably a lot of stuff you'd like to kill, people you'd like to kill. And maybe that's a sign. You know, maybe the people who are on your nerves or the thing that's just wearing you down, maybe that is something that God wants to bring to death. The problem is death is so complete and so final And we don't like that, humanly speaking. We like options and opportunity. We like to be able to choose. Death takes away the choice. You know, you're struggling with some sin in your life. You know, probably part of the problem is you're not willing to kill it. You would like to like disease it a little bit, make it a little bit weaker so that you can control it. Right? But you need to kill it. Right? Colossians tells us we need to put to death the works of the flesh. Put them to death. Pretty final, isn't it? We need to be absolutely making no provision for the flesh, Romans 16. We don't like that. We like, um, you know, I'll try to starve it out a little bit. I'll try to, like, make it fit into my life. I'll try to let it not dominate me. Sin doesn't work like that. It, it, sin only responds to death, to finality. And so what is God's love and goodness and perfection, bringing to death in your life so that you can live. How would you know? Well, you might recognize the things that God wants to bring to death in your life by the absolute panic that shows up in your soul whenever you consider losing it. That's probably a primary target for what needs to go. Because you've made it an idol. I'm not saying if it's a person in a relationship that the person needs to die. What I'm saying is the way that you've related to them needs to die. 
and be reborn in Jesus Christ so that it's whole and alive and healthy and, and something that's a gift from the Heavenly Father as opposed to something that is constantly killing your soul. You need it to die so that Jesus can raise it back to life. Is Jesus' resurrection and life to you? Jesus says, do you believe this? Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asks you the same question. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? That whoever believes, whoever believes, can be raised again from the death in their soul. This wide open invitation. Well, maybe you think it doesn't mean you. Jesus has specifically included whoever. They will live even though they die. He's saying that even though we face physical death on this world, even though our bodies, all of our bodies will one day die, our life is not over. That we will live even though we die. He's talking about life after physical death. Resurrection is the return of life to the body, but death is not the end of life. There is no pause in life. There is life after this life. If you want to know what Jesus believed about life after death, Jesus believed it is absolutely not only uh, possible, but it is absolutely guaranteed that your existence goes on after you die from this earth and that you have the opportunity to have life through resurrection. Jesus said there's life after death. And then he says in verse 26, whoever lives and believes will never die. Is that contradictory? Well, you know, even though he dies, he will live. And now he says he will never die. Now, one is the physical sense that my physical body will die, but my spiritual life will go on. But the other is, if I live and believe in him, my spiritual life has already begun. Did you know that? If you're a child of God, you're not waiting for some day when I get to heaven for your life to start. Jesus has already given you his life. And you should be living in it now. If you're living dead in your soul, it's not because he failed you. It's because you're thinking about it wrong. He's not waiting to give you life someday. He's giving you life already in Jesus Christ. Are you living in the resurrection and the life? Because he says, whoever lives and believes will never die. You're already living in it. And so Martha says, yes, I believe it. I believe you're the Christ. I believe you're the promised one, the anointed one, the one come to rescue and save you. And I also believe you are the Son of God. You are capable of taking death and bringing life again through resurrection. No one else could do this. But Jesus, I believe you could. If you came to me today about someone or something that had died in your life, I have no power of myself to raise it to life again. And nobody else does either. Not even the demonic host. Did you know that? There is only one who can bring life from death. God Almighty, Jesus Christ, His Son. And when He makes something alive again, He doesn't make it alive again in a way that it was almost as good as it was before, or it's kind of okay. When Jesus takes you through the process of death and resurrection, His new life is not even a little bit better. It is exponentially better than the life that you had before. That's why he takes you through death. He wouldn't put you through all of that if it was just going to be status quo. He he takes you through it because you need it so that the life that he wants to give you, life to the full, life of freedom and overflowing, life of joy, that life becomes possible through death and resurrection. Lazarus raised from the dead 
is a whole different thing than Lazarus just living a normal, nice life. Lazarus healed is fine, is okay. He just keeps going on. But Lazarus resurrected means Jesus Christ is the Son of God with power over death to conquer the grave, to bring life from hopeless causes, to bring light into complete darkness. Lazarus resurrected is a testimony that you and I never live without hope in Jesus Christ. That we never have to give up. That we never have to give in to despair. Because Jesus Christ is the victor over death. He is the resurrection and the life. And so as we turn towards communion to close our service today, I'm going to ask you to ponder this question as we celebrate communion together. Is there life God wants to bring to you through death? Have you been holding on to what he's been asking you to let go of? What he's been asking you to let die? Has God taken something from you that was so dear you don't think you'll ever get over it? And so if that's the case, will you believe what Jesus said, that he's the resurrection and the life, that he is the savior, the healer, the life giver, the restorer, the redeemer? Will you put your faith in that? Because he went to a cross, suffered death to show that he has the power of resurrection and new life. I'm going to ask you if you would just leave your stuff wherever it is. Make your way into a circle around the room as we get ready for communion this morning to close our service. All right, as you find your way, there's some space over here if people are looking for space. We're going to start the cups around kick off our time together here in communion. Like I said before, if this is something that you just want to watch instead of participate in, just let those cups go by. Don't take one. If you take one, that's our signal that you're going to be participating. And we would love for you to be able to participate with us today if you're a child of God. As they come around, think about this with me. Jesus Christ did not have to die. He said it a couple of weeks ago, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down myself. So Jesus chose to face what we talked about today, sorrow, pain, and frustration. You see it in the garden, don't you? Lord, please take this cup from me. But you also see trust. But not my will, your will. Jesus, in the moment of death, had to face what we have to face, which is, I don't know if I'll make it. This is too big of a thing. This is too hard to suffer this loss. Let me trust you, Father. And that's the call that we have today as well. A call to trust the Father with our lives, with everything that is dying and dies in our lives. Paul says this in Romans 6, If we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. Did you hear that? If something dies in your life as a believer and you entrust it to God's hand, Paul says, we will certainly, just like we were united with him in the death of that thing, we will be united with him in resurrection. You can count on new life. Resurrection. Now, if we died to Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Do you believe that? That like Christ died and rose again, that when you face death, there will be resurrection and new life. Do you believe that today? And so these elements that we have today are reminders of this path Christ chose for you and I. It is a path we sang about today that brings glory to Him. That He 
took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you, ripped and torn. So as the men come around today, take and rip as a representation of the body of Christ, remembering his body broken for you. The juice poured out. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. Remember, Jesus suffered death for you so that you would know that he understands what death is like and so that you could also believe in the promise of new life in Jesus Christ. And so today, as we celebrate communion, let those words resonate in your mind. Give thanks to God, but be willing to let go of what needs to die so that he can bring new life through resurrection. Gentlemen.